Welcome to the audio podcast of The Father's House. We hope and pray you are both challenged and encouraged by this time in the Word. And we are in this series in the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. It was a young church, about a year and a half old, and they had a lot of issues and dealing with cultural issues and the pressure of society and really a wicked city that Corinth was. And if you've been in the study, we've reviewed some of that. Uh, There's a a couple reasons why this letter is relevant and applicable to all of us right now. First off, it is the eternal word of God. And I hope you understand this, that the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's eternal. It applies to every one of us today. And then there is a relevance in the fact that the culture and the moral climate of ancient Corinth really mirrors and reflects our culture and our morality in 2023. And uh, as we studied this city, it was a, um, a port city, uh, an influential city, a place of wealth and entertainment, a place with a lot of philosophy scattered with pagan temples. Uh, it was a place of higher education and tourism. But really, Corinth was a, was a, a den of depravity. It was the hub of hedonism. And hedonism is basically the philosophy that my life is all about pleasure. I want to get as much pleasure and enjoyment in the temporary as I can. And this was an epicenter of hedonism. Now, the term Corinthianize, which we've been discussing, was used in the Roman Empire to describe people who lived in debauchery. It was a term used to talk about people who were sexually and morally out of control. In fact, in the high place of their city, we'll revisit this photo again, uh, the Temple of Aphrodite. And Aphrodite was uh, worshipped and revered as the overarching um, protector of the city of Corinth. And so there were 1,000 temple prostitutes that would, would come out toward the evening and they would gather up all the tourists and the military people and whoever wanted to be a part of it. And there were open orgies and there was, quote, worship, which was public sex that happened at the temple of Aphrodite. So let me just give a, a summarization of Corinth. Corinth was a place where you could be whomever you wanted to be, do whatever you wanted to do indulge in whatever you desired, express your sexuality without restraint or boundaries, and not only be tolerated, but celebrated for it. Welcome to 2023, right? You notice any similarities there? Now, not exactly the place for Christian values to thrive. In fact, if you were a believer in Corinth, you're probably thinking, I'd like to move to Tennessee, but Tennessee didn't exist at that point. I'm going to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. But you know what... Paul understood and believed is what we understand and believe, and it's this. The gospel shines the brightest in dark places. And if there's any place for a Holy Ghost Bible preaching, stand on the Word of God, church that lifts up Jesus, it's California in 2023. It's Calgary in 2023. Come on, somebody. Now, there's a problem that Paul's going to address that I'm going to break open today in chapter 6. And it wasn't the fact that pagans act like pagans. That's not what he was dealing with. He was talking about the fact that the spirit of the age that permeated the culture of Corinth was now permeating the church. The perversion, the sexual practices, the philosophies, and the mindsets were now in getting embedded and taking root in this young church. So he says some pretty straightforward things that I'm going to read you in just a moment. And just a disclaimer, uh, if you're new to the Father's house, uh, I'm going to read the Bible. And some people actually take offense now in our culture with the simplicity of reading the Word of God. 
So what Paul said in Thessalonians that a time is coming where people will not endure sound doctrine, but they'll gather to themselves teachers having itching ears because people will want to hear just what they want to hear and not the full counsel of the word of God. If you're new to the Father's house, let me give you a heads up. We believe that all scripture is inspired of God. We believe that it is without error. We preach it all. We preach the good stuff. We preach the heavy stuff and the light stuff, the mean stuff and the nice stuff. The God bless you stuff and the oops, you might be going to hell stuff. We're preaching the whole Bible around here. So I hope you're in the right place. Thank you, by the way, for the encouragement. So I want you at all locations, we're going to read out a verse as a declaration today, and it's a foundational verse, the way we operate and believe it here at the house. Bring this up, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Come on, lift your voice. Let's read it together. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Do you believe that today? Now, the first eight verses of chapter six, uh, Paul is talking to them about Christians suing Christians. And in their culture, they could sue, as is ours, over very petty issues. But here was the problem. We had believers taking other believers to court in front of the pagan culture, and it was really making their testimony look pretty weak. Now, a difference in church attendance and suing other Christians back in the day, uh, if you went to Athens or Corinth or Ephesus, unlike our culture in America now, there would just be one church in your community. And you would worship on the weekend at the synagogue in the temple courts and then throughout the week from house to house. That is the Acts 2.20 model. So if you had something against this guy or this lady suing this lady, odds are when you came to church, you're worshiping right alongside that person you're suing. See, in our culture, it works like this. If you get offended or ticked off or in a lawsuit with a Christian at your previous church, you just leave and go to the father's house. (laughs) Or you leave the father's house and go somewhere else. But they didn't have that option. Now, those verses apply to a a very small number probably here today. But if you're in that situation, I would encourage you to take a slow read in the Amplified Bible, verses 1 through 8, and then get some commentary. There's some great stuff. If you've never used BibleGateway.com, Bible Gateway, it's a great resource of of commentaries that that you can access. I use it in my study for sure. But I want to look at a a far broader audience today, something that includes all of us. And uh, I want to talk to you, as Paul did, about sexual immorality. Now, uh, the kids have already been taken out of the room, so, so thank you for that. But I will try to edit my comments as is appropriate for a mixed audience, okay? Uh, I don't want to uh, make grandma blush. Okay, but we are, we are going to go to the Word today, and we are going to study. Let's jump into verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous or the wicked, one transla- translation calls them, will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Do you not know the tone of the Greek language here? It's a rebuke tone. In other words, Paul's saying something like, hey, you should know this already. You really ought to know by now. We would probably say something like, come on, you got to be kidding me. You, You don't know that yet? Every parent in the room understands the tone of which Paul used. It would be like, what part of take out the garbage didn't you understand? Do you not know that 
you are still in bed and school starts in 15 minutes. So parents, you get it. So Paul is bringing this. Now, there are five do you not knows in this portion of scripture. And he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is twofold. If you listen to the model prayer of Jesus, he told you to pray, thy kingdom come, right? Your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. So there is a kingdom on earth. The kingdom is this. It's where the rule and the reign of Christ is carried out. It's where Jesus is Lord, his word is obeyed, and the church in the earth, the true church of the living God, is in fact an expression of the kingdom of God headed toward an eternal kingdom where we will be with the Lord forever. Hope to see you there. So he says, the wicked will not inherit the kingdom here or the kingdom to come. Let's go to verses 10 and 11. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor those who participate in homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, whose words are used as weapons to abuse, insult, humiliate, intimidate, or slander, nor swindlers will inherit or have any such share in the kingdom of God. And such were some of you before you believed. But you were washed by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. You were sanctified, set apart for God and made holy. You were justified, declared free of guilt in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit of God, the source of the believer's new life and changed behavior. Can I get a little amen there for the gospel? So he goes over this list, uh, starting out with, it is not all inclusive, but he was hitting some of the major problems uh, that were happening in Corinth, infiltrating the church. And then he switches gears and he says, and such were some of you, you were messed up. If you were a swindler or greedy or in sexual uh, sin or, you know, gender confusion, whatever it might've been. He says, such were some of you, but then here comes the cross and you were cleansed and you were made holy and you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want to announce to you today that there is no sin too great. There is no one who's run too far. There's no life that's too messed up that the power of the shed blood of Jesus cannot redeem and change in a moment, in an instant. The blood of Christ has not lost its power. And by the way, as, as I talk about sexual immorality, let me just make this point very clear. We're not talking about a group of people like, oh, wow, multiple affairs or three marriages or gender confusion, this kind of pile of folks over here in sexual sin, and then the Christians over here that have it together, okay? Let's just be clear. I believe that every one of us, we all have experienced sexual brokenness and levels of confusion and sin, and we're all on a curve to be healed and restored. Would you agree with that? And if you don't, you probably need to repent of some spiritual pride. Deal with that later. But we're, we're all in this together, okay? It's broken humanity, and it's what broken humanity does. So 1 Corinthians 6.12, he says, you say, I got the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. It's not going to work out so well for you. I have the right or the freedom to do anything, but I must not become a slave to anything. So get this, in the conversation, the Corinthians are saying, I have the right to do anything. In other words, I have freedom and it's even lawful. I can do whatever I want with my body. And it's the same mantra you hear today. They were saying, my body, my choice. I'm gonna live my truth. It's, it's what our culture is shouting at us, and it infiltrates, and it finds its way into the community of believers. 
And Paul says, yeah, you're a free moral agent and you can choose where you spend eternity. But if you call yourself a believer, not everything you're involved in is going to be beneficial. It's not going to add life to you. And then they say, well, I've got freedom or license to do whatever I want. He says this, but make sure you don't become the slave of the thing you think is freedom. As it says in Romans 6, 16, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? So you can be a slave to sin, it leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness. Verse 13, back to Corinthians. Food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. That was a saying in their culture. And it's true. Well, someday God's going to do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. Would you read the bold with me, all campuses? And the Lord cares about our bodies. Now, Paul is going to get to the crux of the matter here. And the main focus is talking about sexual immorality. But as an overarching statement, the Lord cares about your body. So the truth that I'm sharing today could apply to diet and exercise, overeating, overdrinking, oversmoking, overgummy bearing, whatever you're into, right? The Lord cares about your body. In fact, I was chatting it up in, in the lobby just before service here in Vacaville, and I ran into a guy who's fairly new to the community, and he's, he's having a struggle with cancer, and I just let him know, hey, we believe in healing around here. And we'll lay hands on you. By his stripes, we're healed. We serve a healing God. He cares about our bodies. Now, as, as Paul's breaking this down, he clearly states that your body was not intended for sexual immorality. But allow me, before I give you a definition of that, to uh, go down a rabbit trail because there was a philosophy, an, an ideology, and uh, this ideology is a kind of a large word, but ideology just means a bunch of people that got the same idea. Okay, and they talk about it and infiltrates the thinking, the think tank. It's how political parties get together. But the ideology was this. It came from a heresy, a false teaching called Gnosticism, which was big in the first century. And John wrote about it and against it. Paul wrote against it. And basically, it's, it's a big co concept. But Gnosticism is this. It was the belief that soul and body were separate. So track with me for just a moment. That anything that was molecular structure, anything that was matter, my flesh, food, whatever I could see, touch, that it was evil. It was inherently wicked, but the soul, the spirit, was holy, and at the same time, they had no bearing. There was no consequence if one did one thing and the spirit did another. How convenient a theology is that? And it infiltrated the church. So they thought, I can sleep with whoever I want. I can indulge uh, in, in the orgies and in the, the overeating, the overdrinking, and all that the Greeks and the Romans were famous for, while at the same time having enlightenment and being right with God. And Paul said, no, no, it doesn't work like that. Now, if Gnosticism was eliminated in the first century, I wouldn't be talking to you. But it's alive and well in 2023. And it reflects itself in the conversation of church-going Christians. It's like, I love God, and I believe I'm saved, but you know, I've got, I've got issues, and God understands. I've got needs. I've got weaknesses, and we justify ongoing patterns of sin, and it's a Gnostic philosophy that actually leads us into a very dark place. And yeah, we all got issues and brokenness, but if I call my ongoing sin a problem, that means I don't need to take it to the cross and repent of it and be freed of it. 
You see, so we have to understand there's some things in order to serve him and follow him because what I do, listen, what I do with my body very much affects my soul and my eternity. That is the teaching that Paul is laying out. Now, he says, you were not built for sexual immorality. And he uses a word in the Greek that is uh, porneia, where we get our word pornography. And in fact, bring this up on the screen. Here's what the scholars have determined that this overarching word in the Greek language actually means. It's quite a, it's quite a laundry list and all-inclusive. But look down toward the bottom. It says the worship of sexual idols. Now, that would include what we know, the epidemic um, that is now pornography in our culture. Did you know right now the, the median age of young people that are exposed to pornography is under the age of 11 years old? Our sons and daughters. It's happening. Junior high, it's rampant. And it's the, you know, the two-edged sword, the blessing, the curse of technology. Everybody's got a smartphone, which can actually make you do really dumb things. Uh, and so there's, there's access like never before and, and, you know, some people blow off pornography like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's no big deal. And I've, I've counseled married couples. They're like, you know, what kind of boys will be boys attitude. No, it's sexual immorality. It's actually placing an image that becomes an idol for your affection that hardens your heart toward the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> How are we doing out there? Everybody breathing? <gasps> okay, drop down the oxygen mask in three, two. Now, let me, let me just say before we move on, that um, parents in the room, I would love you to be educated in this. If you've got sons and daughters that are 8, 10, 12, 14 years old, we actually have a class, bring up this slide, uh, called Sexual Integrity 101. It's a study for men, women, and churches, and it, it's really informative. And if you need help, there's support groups. But for your sons and daughters, it, it would be great for you to, to get in on that. We also uh, have something in our biblical studies, bring up this slide, uh, if you look at this, called Biblical Sexuality. And there's several video lessons that you can actually watch at home. So if you're dealing with somebody who's facing like uh, gender confusion or same-sex attraction or ongoing fornication, there's some great information here. Here's the deal. We want to resource you. We want you to know what we're talking about. We want you to know what the Bible says about sexuality, not culture. Is anybody with me today? Now, now, I'll get off this, what might seem to some as a soapbox, but the bottom line where I want to land is this. It's not about as much what you see and what you do as what's going on in your soul when this is taking place. That's what God is concerned about, your relationship with him. And what you do with your body has a direct effect on the soul, both in this life and for eternity. That's the truth of the matter. You know, David wrote this in Psalm 86. Check it out. Teach me your way, Lord that I may rely on your faithfulness. I love this prayer. Give me an undivided heart. Would you pray that with me? Pray it out. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And in the Hebrew, heart is labab, and the word means it's the inner man. It's the mind, will, heart, and soul. By the way, anytime you see heart or soul in Scripture, they're synonymous. It's talking about the center of who you are, the essence of who you are. And David was praying, he said, God, I don't want to live a divided life. I, I don't want my understanding and my theology to be over here and my experience to be over here. I don't want my affections to be divided. So how does that apply to sex? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want to move to verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who, who, excuse me, he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. He's quoting from the book of Genesis, talking about the sacred and holy covenant of marriage. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. What he's saying here, lean in. Sex is never just physical. It's spiritual and it's a soul connection. It's a soul tie. Now, even though our culture believes in and practices things like they call recreational sex or people say, well, it was just physical. She meant nothing to me. And there's other things it's called that I couldn't say from this stage. But it's never, listen, the hookup is never just physical. It's a soul connection. And that's why there's a lot of people that I've counseled, a lot of folks over the years that have been multiple affairs or sexual partners, and here's what I find. They live with a fragmented soul. They feel disconnected. In fact, a lot of them to the point where they're self-medicating to numb the pain of a fractured soul. And a lot of people can't commit because they don't know the difference between a heart commitment and a lust or a soulish connection. Some are in confusion, some depression, even some suicidal, because what the enemy wants to do is he wants to fracture your soul. Now, I'll let you up in just a minute and tell you about the power of redemption, but there's a lot of folks that left part of their soul in this affair, and a lot of some of their soul over here in this sexual relationship, and their soul's been spread out 5, 10, 20 different places. Now, can we be healed and restored? Oh, of course. Bring your brokenness to the cross. And Jesus will do something that no other power or source or counseling can pull off. And that is, he heals the fractured, wounded soul. He makes us one again. He restoreth my soul. David wasn't just glibly quoting a line, hey, it makes me lie down beside still waters and green pastures. And he restores the fractured soul. So that is the gospel. That's the good news. Now, you can be healed, and here's the reason he wants you to be healed. Because his plans are the best plans. Let me just talk to all my single people at all the locations today. Because some of you are thinking, well, Dave, wow, you're really cramping my style with this message, bro. Like I'm in my mid-20s, I got a strong sex drive, I'm on my, my game right now, and, and this is not good news for me. I get that. But here's the thing. God wants you to preserve your body and your sexuality for the covenant of marriage. And would you believe this with me, that he's the maker of your being, he's the designer, he wrote the owner's manual, and he knows what's best for your life and your future, and still Jesus wants you to have life and have it more abundantly, and he knows what that looks like. But here's the thing, we gotta trust him. We gotta take our flesh and our desires and our sexuality to an altar, which is the foundational premise of Christianity, right? That my life is not my own. I am crucified with Christ. What does that actually mean? That this body is no longer mine to operate without the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit. But I'm gonna say, God, I will preserve myself. Well, I'm preaching better than people are breathing. There's something in the covenant of marriage. In chapter 7, Paul goes on to talk about sex and marriage and give that a good read. And just let me just do a synopsis of all of chapter 7 to the married people. Have more sex. Okay, God bless. Good night. That's what he's saying. It's God's design. Now, regarding sexual immorality, here's the admonition. Look at verse 18. 
run away from sexual immorality. Run away. You know what that word means in the Greek? (laughs) Right there. Run away, flee, take off. Like like Samson should have ran from Delilah, something like that. Look at this in the Amplified. In any form, whether thought or behavior, whether visual or written. So he throws the romance novels in there for you. (laughs) Fifty Shades of Slop or whatever you're into. How are we doing today? <laughs> Look at the nine o'clock service. You're like, Pastor Dave, I haven't even had breakfast yet. Okay. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the one who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. And here it is, another do you not know. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's within you? whom you've received as a gift from God and that you are not your own property. You were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then, honor and glorify God with your body. Now, I'll wind down here in the next couple minutes with this. When you get this and when you say, Lord, I'm gonna honor this temple, that this temple is holy, It's not just my heart and soul and my spirit, man, but actually the body that you've given me is a vessel that you want full access to. There's a reward. There are God-given benefits that come along when you honor God with your temple. Let me give you three of them. Number one, you will experience the nearness and the intimacy of the Holy Spirit. The nearness. And if you've ever experienced that, most of you had, the whisper of God, the embrace of God, the thing that makes you weep in worship, when you hear his voice and you can talk to him in the morning and during your commute, you say, Father, it's good to be with you today. And you sense his smile and just that thing where you're walking close to him. But you know something about the Holy Spirit? He will not share the temple with sexual immorality. He will not share your temple with debauchery. He will not share your temple with a lifestyle in the list that I read earlier. And so what happens is we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, this is not a salvation issue. Only God can judge your heart. But if, for instance, one of the things that listed was slander and to malign people and to use my words as a tool to just ah, do devastating things. And our culture is great at that, especially in the platforms of social media. You know that every time we strike out at somebody or do, do that harsh reply or jump on the bandwagon, that the Holy Spirit is grieved because that's not his, his flow. That's not his temperament. And so we're to be careful that everything we do, it would not grieve the Holy Spirit. And if you know the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, the friend, the one who walks alongside, the one who stays closer than a brother, that his company, his nearness is so precious. I loved when uh, Bill Johnson was here. Some of you would remember this. He said, treat the Holy Spirit as if he is the dove that he actually was represented by, and that dove is sitting on your shoulder. How would you walk if you had a dove sitting on your shoulder and you didn't want it to leave? You would walk different. You would would move differently. And so we want to entertain the nearness of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench, do not put out the Holy Spirit's fire. Because as, as it says in Ephesians chapter two, that you are being built 
to be a temple where God lives by his spirit. So when I say, God, I'm gonna honor you with my body, his Holy Spirit is near me and I am filled with the power and presence of God. Number two, you will discover the perfect will of God for your life. When you honor God with this temple, you're actually gonna walk into the perfect will of God. Heads up, the perfect will of God and knowing the will of God is not something just for pastors that have pastor on their business card or the guys on stage, or your small group leader. God has a perfect and specific plan for every one of us. He knows the plans that he has for you, detailed plans. And as I say, God, my body belongs to you, I lay it on the altar. Well, look at Romans 12, one and two. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to what? Give your bodies to God because all he's done for you. Not just your heart and your soul to God, but give your body to God. Let them, your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Then you will learn. Would you read the bowl with me? Then you, and what are we gonna learn? How to know God's will for our lives, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So when I say, God, you, you have this body, what does that look like to give my body as a living sacrifice. I'll give you a couple examples. There's times and seasons where the Lord asks me to get up earlier than I do and to spend an extra hour with him in prayer and worship. And, and I know the Holy Spirit is leading me into that. But when my phone goes off with that annoying little sound early in the morning, guess what my flesh says? Oh no, you're not getting out of here. You stay right here. And so I have to drag my body up out of bed and offer my body, and as I do, something happens every time, I begin to understand and learn the acceptable will of God for my life. We're a church that believes in fasting. Your flesh hates to fast. You're gonna do what? You're gonna go all day without food? Yeah, it's right there in the Bible. Jesus said his disciples would do this. But every time I fast, I'm saying, I am bringing this body and I'm taking it up to an altar. I'm gonna lay it on that altar. Why, because I like to starve myself? No because my desire to know the perfect will of God is much greater than my desire to put temporary food in my face. Is anybody hearing me today? My body belongs to him. For all the, the single people that are waiting for the man of God or brother wonderful or sister righteous or whoever you're praying for. As you say, God, my body belongs to you and I'm gonna keep it holy, something happens. You understand the perfect will of God for your life. He will lead and he will direct you. Are you guys getting this today? And the last one, you're gonna experience the goodness of God. The goodness of God when you present your body as a living sacrifice. You say, I'm gonna honor this temple. Here's what he says. The Lord God is the sun and shield. The Lord bestows grace and favor and honor, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. When you walk upright, holy, God, my body belongs to you. And when you sin, you repent, you give back up. He says, I'm not withholding anything from you. See, what culture and the lie the enemy says is God's trying to keep you from having all the fun trying to keep you from the parties and the sex and all the stuff that the culture says, this is why we're living, the hedonism that you were marinating in. But God says, no, no, no. I have a level of goodness and blessing on your life that you can't even comprehend. I have come 
that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And if you give me your body, I will not withhold any good thing from you. How many know that's the kind of relationship I want to have in my life? The goodness of God, the favor of God. That's what he has. He's a good, good father. So he says, hey, get, give me your body and I'll honor you. It says in Samuel that those who honor him, God says, okay, I'm going to honor you back. And today the teaching is this, give him your body, honor him with your very vessel and see what God will do in your life. Amen. For more information on our church, log on to our website at tfh.org or check out the TFH app.